Welcome to the Arlington Street Church podcast. Founded in 1729, Arlington Street continues today as a gathering place for progressive people of faith in the greater Boston area and beyond. We are located at the corner of Arlington and Boylston Streets, across from the Public Garden in Boston, Massachusetts. Please visit ASCBoston.org for more information about this historic Unitarian Universalist congregation. Arlington Street Church, gathered in love and service for justice and peace. Before I can tell my life what I want to do with it, I must listen to my life telling me who I am. These words come from teacher and author Parker Palmer in his book, Let Your Life Speak. We are all learning to listen to the call of where our life is leading us and what our life's purpose may be. It is a call that can take us in unexpected directions, introducing us to people who challenge and inspire us along the way. In the fall of 2014, I got a call from my friend Susan. I met Susan when my life's call led me to a year with the Episcopal Service Corps in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. Susan told me that she was developing a curriculum for young adults on the relationship between vocational call and money. She told me that the first step in this process was to interview, to interview alumni like myself around the country and listen to our stories about how money had influenced our understanding of our vocational call. Susan and I agreed that answering a call is more than just choosing a career. It takes courage and commitment. Answering a call often means committing to a life of service, and from what I've observed, answering a call rarely leads to a six-figure salary. I told Susan that when I think of my call to ministry, I imagine a life that is rich in human connection, not money. I have accepted that I will likely never be as materially wealthy as some of my friends, but I don't feel I need to be. Then Susan asked me, Erica, how often do you think about money now? Whew. My next statement would be a huge contradiction to the philosophy I had just expressed. I think about money all the time. Even when I know I am okay, I'm constantly aware of how easily I could run out of this essential resource. There are times when I'm completely trapped in scarcity mode. Sensing my anxiety rising, Susan shifted the conversation. She asked me, where in your life do you feel divine abundance? I felt myself relax just with her question. I told her that sometimes on sunny mornings, when I walk to school, I feel overcome with this immense joy, not about school or about the day ahead of me or about my life in general, just about that particular moment. And I have this secret ritual for when I feel this way. I shared it with Susan, and I want to share it with you all today. It's a little silly, but some of you might understand. When I feel this joy, when I feel so far away from the panic of scarcity mode, I walk past this birch tree with leaves that hang over the sidewalk. 
with ease and joy, my shoulders relax down my back. I reach up and I high five all the low hanging branches. I don't care how I look, I am relaxed, I am happy, I feel, at least in that moment, safe and secure. I feel like there are endless possibilities for that day, for that week, for my life, and I'm going to be just fine. This, I told Susan, must be a sign of abundance. That's great, Erica said, but can I tell you something off the record? Sure, I answered, feeling a little embarrassed after my wacky tree high-fiver confession. I hate that question, Susan admitted. More and more, I have been thinking that the cure for scarcity isn't abundance at all. It's sufficiency. It's about having just enough. Boom. Paradigm shift. The cure for scarcity is not abundance but sufficiency. Seven years later, this revelation stays with me. I need to appreciate sufficiency rather than abundance. And now that feels even more real in our COVID-19 world than it did when I spoke to Susan in 2014. When we think of the people who have the most in our society, the 1% who might be closer to at least material abundance than the rest of us, they still don't seem to have enough to say, okay, now I am good, I am not lacking, I am perfectly safe, I am perfectly happy. Those who believe in the myth of abundance still feel scarcity mode. We all do. Trying to achieve abundance is like trying to count to infinity. It's an endless goal. Unitarian Universalist minister and poet Lynn Unger wrote this poem during the first surge of COVID-19 in the United States. It's called Toilet Paper. I think it really relates to this idea of sufficiency. How many rolls of toilet paper will make you feel safe? How many bottles of Purell? How much peanut butter or pasta, bread or beer? How much money will make you secure? $10,000, a million, a billion dollars in a yacht? At what point do you say, I have what I need? Ask the Buddha. He says, it is the nature of all things to change. It is the nature of all things to suffer. It is the nature of all things to die. How many roles will make you safe? Wouldn't it be better if you, yourself, were multi-layered, soft, and strong? As we have seen over and over again, when there is a crisis, be it a blizzard or a stay-at-home order, it is hard to achieve anything resembling abundance without taking away that which is sufficient and essential to someone else. My sister worked at Target, and one of her jobs during the surge in April 2020, which I am really glad I didn't have to do this, her job was to tell people to take just one pack of toilet paper. She told me that some people would show up 
day after day, the same people buying more and more, hoarding more toilet paper, more paper towels, and more bleach wipes than they could possibly have used. After a few hours, there were none left for anyone else. Historically, seeking abundance has led to some of the worst crimes we can commit against one another and our planet. Those seeking abundance took sacred land, resources, and freedom away from others. The imperial search for abundance continues to stratify and oppress today. As much as we would like to hold on to the idea of abundance as something we might deserve or need or are gifted from the divine, it's important to recognize that in practice, it's not working. Seeking abundance can so easily turn to greed and injustice. We share this world and this life with other beings who are worthy of dignity, safety, and respect. We can't have it all, and we don't need it all. And while I believe this to be true, I would also like to believe that there are some types of abundance that aren't oppressive. Abundant love, abundant kindness, abundant hope. But the more I think about it, the more I believe that we need to start with the goal of just enough. Just enough love to care about people and issues beyond ourselves. Just enough kindness to do the right thing. Just enough hope to keep going, even when we have every reason to be afraid. The seventh principle of Unitarian Universalism states that we have respect for the interdependent web of all existence of which we are a part. In these divisive times, cultivating abundant love, kindness, and hope toward all of existence hasn't been easy for me. But we can cultivate enough to live our values and to answer the call of our Unitarian Universalist theology. As a community, we did this when we shared our electronic devices with other members of this congregation so that we could be together virtually. We did this when we joined mutual aid efforts in our communities, ensuring that our neighbors had food, transportation, and connection that they needed to survive. While sufficiency may not sound as glamorous as abundance in moments of real and dire scarcity, sufficiency can be miraculous. And it is a miracle that we can give one another. Around the same time that Susan called me, I was a part of a group of Unitarian Universalist seminarians who would volunteer at Rosie's Place, which is a woman's shelter in Boston's South End founded in 1974 by social activist Kip Tiernan. Rosie's Place was the first homeless shelter for women in this nation. When asked what inspired her to open Rosie's Place, Tiernan said that we, she was shocked when she discovered that not only were there no shelters for women in cities like Boston, Chicago, and New York, there was a general belief at that time that there were no homeless women that that population did not exist. There was no need. With what we know today about domestic violence, housing insecurity, and substance abuse alone, it's hard to believe that only 45 years ago, our cities could have been this naive. 
When Rosie's Place started out, they could only afford to offer coffee and clothes. Today, they offer women and children experiencing homelessness and poverty, shelter, legal aid, food, and community. According to their website, before the onset of the coronavirus pandemic, 9% of Massachusetts households experienced food insecurity. Currently, that figure has soared to 38% of Massachusetts residents. Right now, our food programs are more important than ever to women who are desperately trying to get by. The Rosie's Place website also has testimonials from these women, and one of them is a woman named Teresa. Teresa came to Rosie's Place when she had nowhere else to go. She had just escaped an abusive husband, and Child Protective Services had removed her children from her custody. She had no job, no money, and she was severely depressed. At Rosie's Place, Teresa was met with love and care, two things that she desperately needed. She was given shoes, clothing, food, and shelter, nothing extravagant, but it was just enough. After 21 days, Teresa moved to her own place. Today, she works at a job she loves. She has been reconciled with her children and now has grandchildren who are part of her life. She does not live extravagantly or abundantly. Her life is not easy, but she has enough to feel at least a little bit safer, a little more secure and independent, and she is grateful. Teresa says, my state of mind right now is that everything is possible. By listening to Susan and Teresa, I realize that on those sunny days, when I feel so joyful that I can't help but reach up and graze my fingers through the leaves of the birch trees, it's not because I'm experiencing abundance. It is because in those moments, I have just enough to be okay. During the past year and a half, I have walked almost five miles a day. I take a longer way to work so that I can see how my neighborhood changes with each season. In the evenings, I walk home slowly, smelling the flowers, high-fiving the trees. When I have been scared, heartbroken, and enraged by the world, these walks have been enough to get me through and to keep me going. I know there will always be reasons to be afraid and to feel insecure. Ask the Buddha. He says, it is the nature of all things to change. It is the nature of all beings to suffer. It is the nature of all beings to die. Reverend Kim often asks us to consider what we have learned from a catastrophe. There is so much that I have learned and that I'm still learning from COVID-19. There are still parts of my grief from the past year that I'm not ready to let go of. And there is the gratitude and the certitude I felt when I had enough money, food, or time to help someone else get by. I never want to forget that. Let's take a moment together to take a deep breath in and out slowly.
your shoulders relax down your back. We made it to June 2021. That is just enough to be miraculous. I miss you. I love you. And I believe that someday soon, we will all be together again. May it be so. Amen. And now for our benediction, I invite you to place your hands over your heart. These words come from Unitarian Universalist minister, Sarah Morris Campbell. We receive fragments of holiness, glimpses of eternity, brief moments of insight. Let us gather them up for the precious gifts that they are and renewed by their grace, move boldly into the unknown. Beloved spiritual companions, the service begins when the service ends. Bless your hearts. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. We would love to hear from you via email at office at ASCBoston.org or through our Facebook page. If you would like to support the good work of Arlington Street Church, please consider a contribution by checking the mail or through our website, ASCBoston.org.